Her fears are Palestinian scarves, and they're a symbol of support for justice for the Palestinian people. Buying one will support the last remaining factory in Hebron that makes her fears, and all proceeds from the sales support projects in Palestine, especially Gaza, as well as local solidarity organizations. From the traditional black and white kafia to an array of modern designs. Explore the range and order online or drop by 3CR during business hours. Wear your support for the rights of Palestinians. Go to kafias.org.au. That's K U F I Y A S.org.au. A 3CR supporter. Since 1954, Overland has been home to local and international literature, non-fiction and cutting-edge poetry. Overland Journal's subscriber drive is on from November the 3rd. Anyone who takes out an annual subscription between November the 3rd to the 10th will go on the draw to win heaps of prizes, receive four issues of Overland and be supporting vital Australian literary culture. Overland Journal in print quarterly and online weekly. Head to overland.org.au to subscribe today. Overland Journal is a 3CR supporter. Salam Radio Show acknowledges that the land from which we're broadcasting is the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. The colonial project is ongoing and continues to disenfranchise First Nation people. I recognize that sovereignty has never been ceded and like to pay my respect to elders past, present and emerging. Always was always will be Aboriginal land. Salam y'all and welcome to Salam Radio Show. We're broadcasting from 3CR Community Radio 855 AM. Um, I'm here with a special guest. His name is Nadim, and he's um, a Palestinian artist uh, and activist, and he organizes um, a lot of events in Melbourne and uh, runs a label, Al Gharib, and Exist Festival. Hi, Nadim. Hi, thank you uh, for inviting me. I'm very happy to be here. Very happy to have you. Um, uh, we would like to start to uh, by asking you to give us a little bit of intro about yourself, where you come from, and yeah, what you do in life. Well, um, I'm Palestinian, so my parents, grandparents, and the lineage continues on are all from Palestine. Uh, my grandparents from my mother's side and my father's side were expelled in 1948 during the Nakba, 
having to walk to neighboring countries, uh, exiled into refugee camps. Both my parents were born in refugee camps as a result of the mass migration and exodus. And then there was escaping wars in the region like the Gulf War and whatnot until my family eventually um, sought refuge in Australia. Um, fast forward, I uh, studied law and international relations. I'm currently a lawyer specializing in international law, but working within the Australian family law and child protection framework. Um, what else? I uh, co-head Al-Gharib with my label partner, Adam, and I, I co-direct Exist Festival and Exist Records, which was founded by the late Oday Masri Allah Yirhamo, who was uh, the founder of the first Palestinian electronic music label Harara Records and the founder of Exist Festival. Um, we hosted our seventh edition of the festival this year in London, um, which was a beautiful tribute festival for a day um, with the likes of Drew McDowell, Nicholas Jar, R. Rose, all fantastic artists who have been in solidarity with the Palestinian cause for a very long time. Um, and yeah, just uh, back in Australia at the moment, still working as a lawyer, of course, under the current conditions of what's taking place in Palestine. I am doing what I can to work within the awareness and advocacy space as I have my whole life. But right now, I think there's a turning point in history and I don't believe things will ever go back to the way that they were. So I guess this is another reason why I'm on the radio show today as well, because I don't usually really engage in stuff like this because um, I like to do my treading in the background. And a lot of Palestinians are doing a lot of things that aren't recognized mm -hmm. in terms of their mobilization of their local community. So... I think a time like now is essential for me anyway to come on a platform like this um, and just talk, yeah, play some music from the compilations, but essentially talk about what's going on within the Australian political context and how our own advocacy and resistance can play a part in what happens in the future. Yeah, it's, it's very important for like now as a time for people to speak up, get out of their comfort zone and do the best they can to stop this um, hell like that's happening to the Palestinian, the genocide that's happening at the moment. Every week the news are worse and worse and uh, there's not m enough um, condemnation from our government uh, nor any Western government about what's going on and it's quite shameful and yeah it's really important for us as artists to come together to speak up and yeah in this show we'll be highlighting what we could do as a community here in Melbourne uh, and uh, yeah talk to Nadim who will give us a really good insight being a lawyer about what we could do here um, yeah and I want to say um, I just came from the protest it was amazing there were a lot of people uh, on the street protesting from everywhere in the world it was just amazing to see um, the diversity of people backing up this cause and the numbers uh, today alone five uh, not today, today alone we learned that um, 500,000 people from London protested which is incredible half a million um, and I think the number will keep increasing so mm. let's keep it up let's keep our head up and and try and keep trying um, but yeah, thanks Nadine for being here. Um, I guess we touched on a bit on what we're gonna cover, but yeah, there's a lot to cover. It's overwhelming. Um, 
but yeah i guess as a the first question i would like to ask is like as a community of artists and creative here in nam uh, I see a lot of us standing up with Palestine and being vocal about the genocide. But maybe I have a feeling we could do more. Um, more action is required. Um, and people are asking me, what else can we do? Um, some people feel helpless at the moment. Mm. Um, uh, but I keep saying there's a lot. And other than keeping up with the news, you need to be talking to um you know um activist groups here but also that's the other reason i brought you here because as artists ourselves we have a strong role to play in this um mm. and it's happening everywhere else um yeah what do you think is the first step for us to do and how we go about it yeah i think it's it's a good question because there's a lot of resistance advocacy solidarity that i can see um, and all forms coming from all directions, which is very important, can't come through the same avenue. We need to really diversify our resistance. But I also think it's important that we don't counteract our type of resistance. You know, mm. we can't, for example, seek to be in solidarity with the Palestinians and raise awareness, but engage in discourse or forms of advocacy that counter the actual dialogue that's required mm. to provoke any forms of change so for example i've seen a lot of events not only in uh, australia but in europe where people are holding raves for gaza or you know here's a party for gaza and they're slapping on the palestinian flag or the word gaza fundraiser on their posters and inviting people to come and rave and i think i mean that's not necessarily what the Palestinian community is asking for right now. I think it's important to understand that if you want to throw a fundraiser or a, or a solidarity event and play resistance music, you have to be able to frame it in the correct way. Solidarity and resistance are your key words. If you want to raise money, great. But at this point, no one needs your name in lights for doing it. We need you loud and clear explaining that you are calling for an end to the genocide and an end to the occupation. Be sure that you and your audiences understand that artists whose music you're playing live under the world's most brutal military occupation or in the diaspora displaced because of it. Understand that our art and culture is not for your mindless consumption and how comfortable you feel about picking and choosing which parts of us are easiest for you to digest. Now, if you want to support, speak out against the genocide. Speak out to Free Palestine. Put on your events on respectfully with awareness, solidarity and resistance at the forefront of your messaging and the core of your gatherings. Myself and a lot of people believe in offline spaces, spaces being transformative. You know, the event that we held at Skydiver Records the other day, it was extremely healing for the community yeah. to bring people in together out of this offline space, like-minded people coming into grieve. I think people forget that hosting raves where people can come and dance and use substances and get drunk it's like it's not an appropriate time for that there is a genocide taking place in real time yeah. real time children being massacred in hundreds you go to sleep you wake up there's another hundred children dead and it's not to say that men and women's lives aren't important they're all important but considering the population is over 50 percent children it's sickening to see that people are sitting on the sidelines and choosing, okay, you know what, let's do a rave this weekend and bring people in for Gaza. 
People need to understand that we are literally still counting the lives we've lost and are mourning our families and communities. So people need to respect that at this point in time. And so my solution is if you want to throw your rave, throw your rave. Don't put our name on it. Don't slap Gaza or the Palestinian flag or fundraiser on there. Throw your rave and in your own time, in your own privacy, donate the money later. If you want people to donate, if you want to mobilize, have these conversations in private. There's no need to bring this up on social media. Hey, we're doing this, we're doing that. No one cares about your self-gratification and validation. Mm. Don't weaponize our trauma and our suffering, yeah? Because we're grieving here. So if you want to hold an event, hold your event. If you want to donate money, good for you. Announce it later. Hey, by the way, the event that we held on the weekend, we're donating X amount to Gaza. But prior to the event, do not use our suffering and the genocide as a form of advertisement to generate marketing or to bring people into your event because that's just weaponizing our cause and that's actually contrary to the discourse required to raise awareness. We have people in Palestine that are saying, we need to be on strike right now. We need to be protesting. Don't work. Don't go creating aimless art. Don't go hosting raves and parties for Gaza when we need protest. We need the world to stop and see what's going on. Mm -hmm. So if you want to hold your parties, do so, but don't put our name on it. And if you want to contribute to our cause and you want to fundraise, do it after. Share it after the event. But don't try to allure people in because you're inclusive or you're supportive of human rights all of a sudden. Because these fundraisers, we've been calling for assistance for decades. Mm. So don't come now when you can see the, the genocide taking place in an overt nature, even though it's been happening for such a long time. And now you want to raise funds. How are your funds even getting into Gaza right now? It's a complete blockade. Cameras off, electricity is off, complete bombardment and genocide. So we need to mobilize in different ways. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Donating money alone is not, not nowhere near enough. We need to be all speaking up about it. Um, you mentioned we had a conversation on the phone a couple of days ago and you mentioned boycotting ways we can boycott Israel um, as a way of resistance and activism. Could you please elaborate on that in the show? Yeah, so BDS... Especially for artists as well. Yeah. Who, yeah. BDS, uh, boycott, divestments and sanctions, super important in terms of trying to galvanize some sort of change or some sort of action amongst inaction. So, for example, with South Africa, there was apartheid for a very long time and that's an example of how boycotts effectively worked in undermining, uh, undermining the apartheid regime. And so when you have a situation where people have been oppressed, people have been occupied and the international community is completely ignoring what's going on, Israel, for example, seems to exonerate itself from any level of international law, the obligations to respect international law. So when you have a people under occupation who have tried every single form of nonviolent resistance and the world doesn't want to listen, we need to create some sort of shockwaves within the Israeli society. We need to pressure the Israeli people into pressuring their own governments because there's no other method of forms of resistance that we have attempted that has resulted in any significant change for us. Now you're asking this question from an artistic, creative point of view, so I'll focus on the cultural boycott of Israel. Mm. So there are platforms in Europe um, that are known to be Zionist platforms where artists are continuing to play on these platforms knowing that they're Zionist institutions because people want to spread their message on these platforms and they want to so-called use these platforms so they can spread their message and hopefully create greater change. That's all bullshit. 
Mm. You don't want to go on a Zionist platform and put your Palestinian T-shirt on and wave your kafaya and play music and think that you're contributing to the cause because you're not. You're actually enabling the normalization of these Zionist platforms. These platforms reproduce Israeli society and Israeli government ideals. They mm. remanufacture the same racist policies that have been normalized within these societies. So it's important to boycott these institutions. Don't play on these platforms. It's, it's, more, it, it's louder to go and say, I am not going to associate myself with a platform whose ethics and understandings of morality do not reflect my own. So it's, it's much more of an appropriate stance to stay away from these institutions as opposed to thinking that you're going to go on these institutions and use them because these institutions are using you. Mm. You're not using them. So I think it's important at a time like this when we've exhausted every single avenue to try and cultivate some sort of change, we need to start putting pressure on the Israeli civil society, the Israeli economy, you know, the Israeli government. We have to make the people in Israel feel uncomfortable and make them have to question their own government stance and policy because the change is not coming from within. We have voices from the outside pressuring, 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 and nothing's taking place. So there needs to be an actual substantial change from within Israel. And a lot of it has to come from its own people having to look at its own government and say, hey, what's going on here? We yeah. can no longer feel the repercussions of the international community placing pressure on us by boycotting our products, our art, our academic. So in the end, I'll give you an example. People call for the academic boycott of Israel people say why is that not fair are you silencing the thing is people think it's silencing but it's actually the opposite you are creating an avenue for discourse why are we boycotting opens up a conversation the pressure of the boycott is felt and then inherently israelis have to go back to their own societies and speak to their own governments and create an actual discourse as to what can we do because we're feeling the pressure mm -hmm. people are not happy with our government's policies and what's happening to the palestinians a discourse is encouraged. It's not silencing. It's forcing a different type of narrative or a different type of discourse to take place. Mm. For example, settlement products. Under international law, it's illegal to have settlements in these occupied territories. Israel keeps annexing more and more and more land, building illegal settlements in these lands. You have settlers in these lands engaging in the most heinous crimes. And Hidden being runs. armed as well. They're armed. The government's yeah. arming them with weapons. Yeah. They're going they're around. They're not called terrorists. No, they're not. They're walking yeah. around with arms and they're walking around with IDF soldiers around them, protecting them, shooting yeah. Palestinians in their own territories. The whole land is ours anyway to begin with. But mm. even in the territories that have been recognized, they're building settlements in these territories. Yeah. It's under international law. You cannot, as an occupying power, put your own people in the occupied territories. Why do you think? Does it not make sense? <laughs> like you wouldn't put these two people in the same place. And it's so strategic on top of mountains. The way if you look at the map and the way that the settlements have been set up, they've blocked off any path of connection between Palestinian communities. Mm. They're located in strategic areas where they're actually looking down on Palestinian neighborhoods so they can attack them, they can vilify them, they can protect themselves. It's all strategic. The level of dehumanization is so entrenched into Israeli society, it's ridiculous. Like these checkpoints. It's not a simple checkpoint where you just wait in line and you go in and that's it. No, no. The checkpoints are designed to dehumanize the Palestinian people. It is psychological warfare. Every single step you take, there is strategic time and effort put into how can we dehumanize these people mm. how can we undermine them psychologically how can we break them down there's the palestinian body can be broken down into three separate concepts you've got the individual body 
You've got the Palestinian collective body and then you've got the body of land. And Israel, through all its systematic infrastructural failings, intentionally tries to divide the body into three to stop the Palestinian people from being connected to one another, connected to themselves, connected to the land. Mm. And so if you want to call for the boycott of a university in Tel Aviv, for example, well, yeah, we're calling for the boycott because that university is on stolen Palestinian land. Mm. You could not have that university on that land unless you cleansed and expelled the native inhabitants. Like Ben Gurion had a commission where they had to rename all the streets, all the villages, all the suburbs after they exiled these Palestinians. These universities have many of their students who work with the IDF. Many of these uh, universities have programs where they are modifying building military arms and technology that the IDF is testing on Palestinians in Gaza. So how can you separate the inhumane policies of the government from other institutions that are funded that reproduce the government's mentality and ideology? You can't. Like all these software companies that are involved in the technological and military ways in which Palestinians are oppressed at checkpoints, the technology that they're using to understand Palestinians, their information, where they live. Like it cannot be separated. Like the architects that are graduating from these universities are the same architects that are designing the illegal settlements. You know, the same doctors that are graduating from these universities are the same doctors that are in the Palestinian prisons who are telling the soldiers, okay, that's enough torturing for today. You can start again tomorrow. His heart rate's a little bit too high. Mm. So everything is complicit. Everything being reproduced by the Israeli state is complicit in the occupation and the ongoing genocide of the Palestinians. Yeah. So that's why we're calling for a boycott. Mm. It's it's also important to know that the genocide is ongoing. Um It's not just like one event. It's It's been ongoing for 75 years and it's been exercised in so many different ways. Um, so it's not just numbers. It's 75 years of brutal occupation and continuous gradual stealing of Palestinian land uh, that is not stopping. Israel has also tried, uh, like was occupying south of Lebanon And would not stop if, uh, you know, if, if it can expand more, it will. So, and what we're seeing now is horrific. And yeah, recently the blackout in, uh, in Gaza is also depriving us from seeing what's going on in land, which is, uh, you know, a war on media. And you kind of framed it, Nadim, last time we spoke, war on our conscious. Mm. Like, so... I could expand is, on that if you like. Yeah, we would love you to expand on that, but also yeah, this is this is something th this is another um topic that concerns us all uh because if you want to be in a democratic country, you got to hear the other si side of the story. You got to be exposed to that, but we're not seeing that at the moment. But yeah, please expand on what you told me mm. that Israel is waging a war on our conscience. Mm. Look, I think hmm, Israel is complicit in this war on consciousness, but I also think there's a greater branch of Zionism and Western imperialism that are yeah. uh, the culprits here when it comes to this war on consciousness. So for a very long time, there's been a whole range of propaganda that's being used to take people off center for individuals to feel less grounded. There are people on the Palestinian side, people on the Israeli side, people in general who are so emotional. You go to these protests, everybody on the mic is screaming. Everybody is, you know, in all sorts. It's like 
it is only in the interest of those who have power to make you feel like you're powerless, firstly. Mm. Secondly, it's the same tactic of divide and conquer. If we are all emotional, if we are not centered, if we don't feel grounded, it's so much easier to control us and to make us feel separate from one another. If we're not spiritually inclined, if we're not conscious, if we cannot see ourselves in another human being, then it's over. And that's what this war on consciousness is. The regurgitation of this Western media, this war of narratives, it's very dangerous. There is more systemic violence that comes from the war of narratives and the war of words as opposed to war itself. We have to be very careful with the way that we are being co-opted here in terms of our consciousness, the way that we're seeing information constantly being you know, suffocated with information, videos, headlines. We have to be able to pick apart the language that's being used because it is literally causing a war on our self-consciousness. We need to be able to really filter out what doesn't serve us and what serves us. Firstly, consistently looking at Western media outlets, you are a victim to this war on consciousness, okay? We need to reclaim our consciousness, we need to reclaim ourselves, and we need to reclaim our bodies. In order for us to be able to help one another and change, we need to effectively make sure that we're grounded and we are conscious of our own selves and self-aware of the impact that we're making and our actions around our wider community. We cannot be off-center and being trying to help and run around here and whatnot. We need to be careful of the information we're consuming and what it's doing to us on a conscious level because we are operating at a very low vibration here, a very low frequency, and the collective conscious is weak. It is weak. We need to gather ourselves and our own consciousness before we can create some sort of systemic change because right now it's all about the individual. It's all about the individual's problem. Everyone's, everyone wants to have something to say. Everybody on social media is saying something. People have just checked into this a week ago, two weeks ago, have things to say and essays to write. So mind yourself, think about what you're saying, think about how long this has been going for and think about how you would really like some sort of systemic change and how you are countering that by regurgitating Western media. Mm. Yeah. Um, just, uh, I guess uh, I have one more question on boycotting um, is boycotting zionism and uh, as artists what else can we do like if we play at an if we're asked to play an, at an event mm. what do you think we should ask should we ask them who should we ask them like um their stand on the issue is there any other thing things we could do mm. to put pressure yes there is Firstly, and this is a general thing and people need to really understand this and it just doesn't come now at a time where genocide is taking place. Before you play anywhere, before you work with anyone, you need to understand their politics. Firstly, yeah. you can't just go jump into bed with anyone. And I don't mean that literally. But mm -mm. you need to really think about who you're engaging with, who you're supporting. You know, you can't just go and jump and play on a platform and not know what their politics is. Because platforms raise money, platforms create some sort of sentiment or idea or ideology that they might have that you might be contributing to and complicit in something that you don't want to be complicit in. Yeah. When it comes to solidarity and the Palestinian cause and playing events, there are calls from the Palestinian civil society saying, we do not want people playing at events. We want people to protest. We want people to say, no, sorry, I'm going to forego playing this gig. Or sorry, I don't want to be involved in this right now because we need political change. Mm -hmm. Our government abstained from a vote the other day for a ceasefire or a humanitarian pause. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, there were about, I'm trying to remember how many countries now, there were about 120 countries who voted in favor. 
Australia abstained. It's shameful. It's shameful. It's shameful. If you're an Australian citizen and you've seen that, what is it about 120 countries that have voted in favor? And why are we a part of such a small minority here that's not saying no, but abstaining, which to be honest is the very same thing as saying no. Yeah. You're siding with the oppressor. So a genocide's taking place and you want to vote maybe or I'm unsure or maybe ask me later. Mm-hmm. Sorry, if you're on the fence, you're complicit in what's taking place. Mm-hmm. Full stop. So we need to start asking more questions. For me, if you want to go and play, if you want to go be involved in things and you don't want to protest, you don't want to strike, at the minimum, these are the questions you need to be asking those individuals that you're working with or individuals that want to book you for parties. Firstly, do they also agree in demanding for an immediate ceasefire? One. Two, do they demand for an immediate access to Gaza for humanitarian aid? Do they demand an investigation into Israel's erroneous claims of attacks and war crimes on Palestinians in Gaza? Mm-hmm. And this is not just now, this is historically. And secondly, they need to demand an end to Israel's illegal occupation and apartheid regime. If you are going and playing on a platform or for a party or with people who don't want to demand a ceasefire, who don't acknowledge that the occupation should end, who do not acknowledge that it is apartheid or genocide, it's super important that I emphasize this. It is a genocide. There's no if what's buts about it it's a genocide do not be afraid to say it if you're not calling it out for a genocide then you're complicit in normalizing what's taking place right now Mm. don't normalize it it's time to stand up for things okay look what's happening to people oppressed all around the world whether it's in america in africa in the arab orient here only last week another 16 year old boy died Mm. incarceration well, died in hospital, but attempted suicide incarceration. Okay, another death. Look how many Palestinians have died over the past couple of weeks. First and foremost, if we had a ceasefire today, a hundred odd children wouldn't die today. Mm. Are we going to have a ceasefire tomorrow? No, we're not. The Australian mm. government said we're abstaining from a vote. Okay, so there's another day where children are going to die, mm. where they didn't have to die. Mm. So every single day there is not a ceasefire, another hundred or so people die. Mm. So we need to really start to put more pressure on our government here because at a minimum, there should be a ceasefire. At a minimum, there should be humanitarian aid. This is not picking a side whether you support them or that. If you're a human and you care about your own humanity, you care about this world, you care about the world that your children are going to be born into, it's very simple. Allow access to humanitarian aid. End the ceasefire. Because every single day we don't end the ceasefire, another hundred children die. Mm. You know, in, In less than a week, another thousand Palestinians will die. So before you play anywhere, these are the simple questions you need to be asking the promoter or the individuals that you're seeking to work with. So I want to yeah, take advantage that you, we have a lawyer on the show with us today and I want to ask my own questions. So with people working in normal jobs and their company is not doing anything, not talking about it, um, is, there other th- is there things that we could do without losing our jobs? And is there a law that would protect us? Like, yeah. Look, there are anti-discrimination laws in place. Yeah. The thing is, though, I must remind everyone that you need to be careful with how you behave and how you act, okay? You need to stick to facts. Don't be defaming people. Don't get too emotional. That's what I'm talking about, the war of consciousness, mm-hmm. yeah? We're being forced to be off-center. People are saying things that they shouldn't have. Yeah. The Zionist lobby in this country is very powerful. Very, very powerful. Do not underestimate that. So don't give anyone an excuse. Know your facts. Know what you're saying and stick to it. Don't be emotional. 
Don't go and talk about things you don't understand. Don't be naming people or naming institutions if you cannot be sure that they've engaged in behavior that you need to call out. In your workplace, it's very simple. If you want to engage in that conversation, engage in it. But be smart, okay? Play the game here because you're in a workplace that their primary objective is probably to raise profits, you know, to harvest or create a culture where everybody's there to do their job, everybody's here to make money. If you're going to go in there and you're going to have the next board meeting and say, hey, we need to talk about Palestinian rights and whatever, there's better ways to do that. Mm. You can send an email to HR, you can send an email to individuals that work in your space saying, hey, listen, I'm very concerned with what's happening in the news at the moment. I think as, you know, uh, an organization whether it's a small business medium organization a large-scale organization i think since we're australian citizens since we're paying taxes that are going towards arms that are being used to kill children Mm. i think we have a level of complicity here so we should have an open conversation about how we can contribute to this how can we as an organization put some pressure on our government to discuss allowing humanitarian aid or a ceasefire or maybe we can do something as an organization where we can raise awareness or raise some funds. There's respectable and professional ways about going about things. But if you're going to run into the office and wear a kefaya and say free Palestine and whatnot, don't expect that you're going to have an audience ready to listen to you. Mm. you Okay. Okay. And I think at the end of the day, if people are feeling like they're experiencing some sort of discrimination because of their, you know, opinion, for example, there was a company, a friend of mine that works he works for every month they have a meeting with over a thousand employees like the whole office internationally they have you know a meeting where they talk about you know the organization talk about change what they're doing moving forward their social and environmental footprint and they had a discussion the other day about uh the 200 or so hostages israeli hostages and what we can do and how can we show solidarity with the jewish community here and oh okay there was no mention about palestine or the palestinians or the children in Gaza. So what's the best thing to do? Interrupt this meeting while there's a thousand people in there and say, oh, this is bullshit. How about the Palestinian lives? At least if you're going to talk about Jewish children, you need to talk about the Palestinian children. I mean, you could if you want to, but what difference are you going to actually make here? Maybe wait until the meeting's over. Maybe draft a professional email to your boss or to your superiors or to HIA. Hey, we just had this meeting. We discussed this, which I understand has been taking place. I'm also very concerned. However, I'm concerned that we haven't said anything about the Palestinian children. Mm. Why is it that we can talk about the Jewish children, which is something that should be discussed, but there's no place to talk about the Palestinian children? I'm concerned about this. Mm. Frame it in that way. You've put the pressure on them now to come back and try to explain why they're not discussing, you know, the person of color's children. So there's different ways that you can go about things. Don't undermine the hard work that you've done to get where you are by being impulsive or emotional. Breathe, sleep on it, seek advice from someone, and then, you know, mm-hmm. try to find a constructive way of moving forward. But don't be impulsive. It doesn't serve anyone. It doesn't serve you or the wider Palestinian cause. Mm-hmm. And if people are expre- experiencing some form of, you know, discrimination or unfair termination, feel free to contact me. I'm happy to, okay. you know, listen and give my advice. But... There's, there's a smart way about going about it. There's an emotional way about going about it, mm. you know? It's hard to act right at, uh, <laughs> in this time. But we need, I mean, people need to be strong and, yeah, know the right thing to say mm. and implement changes in a smart way, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah, I want to talk a, a bit about the event that you organized on Thursday at Skydiver. You had uh, an amazing array of speakers, including your grandma, who is 75 years old. Mm-hmm. 
uh, the same. Uh, uh, she was born in 1948, the same year as the Nakba. Under a tree, whilst her p parents were um, being expelled, um, her speech was amazing um, and very important. Uh, and you've had Michaela as well, mm -hmm. who's an amazing speaker. She's been speaking about Palestine for a long time. And your cousin, yeah. um, who lost a large number of her family. Yeah, over 30 family members in the past two weeks. Yeah, so, yeah, it's... Um, and you had some resistant... Uh, DJs playing resistant music. Um, yeah, it was a really good event. Um, a lot of people came. How did you feel about it? Um, I was... These offline spaces, as I said before, are essential for healing mm. and grieving. You know, when you throw an event, a rave or something that you want to have a fundraiser for Gaza, there's no space there to grieve. There's no space to connect with voices from the Palestinian community that you would otherwise not access. Like, you're not going to find Nakba survivors at the Gaza rave. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, so it's important to create a safe space and an environment for people to come and put their desire to party aside, to really lend an ear or a hug to those who are really suffering right now. Because in the Palestinian community, I can't even explain to you how difficult it is for the people in the Palestinian community to see this taking place and to see the country that you're living in mm. not even recognize a Palestinian state, let alone genocide. So it was important for me and my family and my friends to set something up like that because I guarantee you, over 98% of the people there had never heard words from a Nakba survivor before. And it's important to create um, an opportunity for people to hear about the longevity of what's taken place here. Because this did not begin two and a half weeks ago, you know, on October 7th. This took place a very long time ago, which involved the ethnic cleansing of Palestinians, including my grandparents. So people often, when they talk about something that they want to debate about whether it's about history or whatnot things or arguments tend to fall on a temporal question and by temporal i mean a point in time so someone wants to say okay well so and so happened and it's not fair that they did this and did that and they're talking about a period x in history mm -hmm. but then if you look at x minus five your perspective on the whole situation is completely different so People always like to pick and choose a point in history where they start their framework from mm. or their thoughts on a situation. And it's crazy because if you want to pick up from two weeks ago, it's very easy to get lured in into you know, this mm. Western narrative. Yeah. But you really need to take the time to really understand the situation and think back historically. Okay, how long has this been going on for? Why, why are Palestinians placed in this condition? Okay, I've seen what's happened with Hamas and whatnot, but what's this... on? enclave that they're talking about why are millions of people stuck in such a small area 97 percent of the the water is undrinkable what mm. israel controls the medicine and the infrastructure going in and out why is that the situation here mm -mm. okay before i start jumping to conclusions i need to learn a little bit more mm. and that's the beauty about having the event that we had the other night yeah people can really put it into perspective oh this happened a long time ago there's this old woman here in front of me who's telling me a story here she's talking about her trauma yet my recollection of what's happened only spans to two weeks ago, but she's 75 years old and this happened when she was born. Okay, hold on. So this does fall, fall on a temporal point of question. So 
back to your question, it was very healing for the community mm. to hear people speak from a Palestinian background. It's very important that it was Palestinian-led too. Yeah. We had Palestinian culture on display. My auntie was making desserts. Uh, the team at Skydiver Records were making manoush. We had mm. resistance music playing, Palestinian artists playing, Palestinian voices speaking. And you can sense a, a great sense of warmth in that room when people came in. People were there for the right reasons. Everybody was on the same page. Everyone wanted to hear. Everyone wanted to learn. Everyone wanted to express their own solidarity. And I think at a time like this, we need events like this. Mm. We need community-based events, solidarity events, where people can not only come together and support one another, but to learn. But I must say also at the same time, be careful of your expectations of people in the Palestinian community right now. Because mm. the, 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 the time for conversation has passed. Mm. The time for conversation where Palestinians have to engage in the discourse has passed. We're tired of talking. We're tired of our trauma being contested. Okay, we're mourning here. Mm. So be very careful of what you demand from people in the Palestinian community right now. Because we're tired, we're grieving, a lot of us are broken. So unless you're on the same page when it comes to genocide, apartheid, ceasefire, humanitarian aid, what can we do to mobilize? Please don't bother the people in the Palestinian community right now because we've already experienced enough. Yeah. Do you know how difficult it is to come and try to re-explain your trauma and try to explain yourself mm. and try to explain that you're not a part of Hamas or this or that? Like, no, 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 no. This is, you know, people need to take a step back, put yourself in our shoes even though you can't. And maybe maybe it's time for someone else here to do some footwork. Because even if we're not talking or engaging in the dialogue, don't think we're not in the background mobilizing our community mm. because we are. And we don't have to be loud about it. Yeah. And do you appreciate other people who are not Palestinian uh, doing events as well um, how can they do it respectfully I, I guess you did touch on that yeah but, it's um, all about the framing yeah. the framing of these events yeah. okay just remember if this is not a Palestinian led event phew, be careful putting our name on your banner be careful putting our colors on your banner like I've, I've heard people who aren't Palestinian trying to organize events or things that are for the Palestinian people it's like what do you know what we want mm. how do you know what we need right now So okay. a consultation is important. It's essential. Um, yeah. Consultation, That but also the, the framing. Issue, actually, the yeah. framing of your event. What is your event? Mm. Because if it's just a rave or it's just a party, then no, sorry, we're not a part of this and we don't want to be involved. Mm. If it's about solidarity, if it's about resistance, these same key words that I discussed earlier, okay, that's a good start. Bring us to the table for a conversation. Mm. But... If you simply want to throw a party, you don't want Palestinian voices to be heard, you don't want Palestinian culture to be, you know, celebrated, then all you're doing is consuming our culture, regurgitating it for your own interest and your own validation and your own profit at the end of the day. Mm. You want to raise money for Gaza? Do it within your local community. Create a WhatsApp group, Telegram, whatever. Catch up with some friends, demand that they donate money, go around, you know, start a GoFundMe page, whatever. But if you want to throw an event, And it's not going to be a solidarity or a resistance event where you're going to, it's Palestinian-led or you haven't consulted Palestinians or you don't have Palestinians who are going to speak or you know at least hear what you're seeking to do here. Do not put Palestine there. Do not put Gaza there. Later on, if you really want to share something on social media because it's so important to you, you can say, yeah, profits raised from this party that we threw last week went to a Gaza fund. But do not weaponize our suffering and our trauma without even consulting us and slapping our name on a banner that you've just you know, created so you can lure people into your party because you're so inclusive and you care about human rights because yeah. that's not the type of you know, resistance or solidarity that we've been asking for. Yeah, people need to be aware of not capitalizing on this issue because that's the most horrible thing you could do right now mm. i want to play some ads and then we'll be back with you shortly
Uncover the depths of human connection and power in the new opera by Evan Lawson and Nicole Butcher, The Sea. This visceral exploration of love, lust, and the corrupting influence of power in relationships washes over you in this extraordinary collaboration between Forest Collective and BK Opera. The Sea plays from the 7th until the 10th of December at Abbotsford Convent. Tickets available from forestcollective.com.au. Forest Collective is a 3CR supporter. Since 1954, Overland has been home to local and international literature, non-fiction and cutting-edge poetry. Overland Journal's subscriber drive is on from November the 3rd. Anyone who takes out an annual subscription between November the 3rd to the 10th will go on the draw to win heaps of prizes, receive four issues of Overland and be supporting vital Australian literary culture. Overland Journal in print quarterly and online weekly. Head to overland.org.au to subscribe today. Overland Have fun on Melbourne Cup Day, but without the cruelty by saying nup to the cup. Join Coalition for the Protection of Racehorses and Ten Fingers on Tuesday, 7th of November for fashions on the field at the Flemington Bowls Club from 11am. Live music, DJs, delicious food, lawn bowls, outlandish dress-ups and human races. Let's celebrate animals, not exploit them. Visit nuptothecup.org for tickets. Help us make the first Tuesday of November a party for the animals. Nup to the Cup is a 3CR supporter. And we're back. You're tuning to Salam Radio Show on 3CR Community Radio. I'm your host, Marushti, and I'm here with Nadim. Um, uh, as we were speaking before about events, there's a couple of events that, um, that are good at the moment happening for Palestine. Uh, today at Capers, starting from 5 or 6, there's an art sale for Gaza. So be sure to head there. Um, keep an eye on Harakat uh, on Instagram. It's uh, a collective that showcases um, uh, films, Middle Eastern films, um, and they will be doing something for Palestine soon. And at Black Spark Gallery, there is a documentary um, uh, yeah, a series of documentary on Palestine for those who want to learn more about um, the issue. Uh, head to Black Sparks Gallery. Um, I think it's happening uh, next week. Um, I mean, this this coming week, um, and it's going to be a series of events. Um, yeah. Uh, so another um, the for this section of the show, we will be playing. Um, music from Palestine, resistant music from a couple of labels that Nadim is involved with. Uh, the first one, which has been released recently, when was it released? Uh, the Resist to Exist compilation. So Resist to Exist was released, I believe it was last year. Yeah. Um, the reason why it's come back up on social media now is because we've decided to re-release the iconic Resist to Exist top. 
Mm, it's amazing. Yeah. It's a really beautiful compilation, 36 tracks. It's a col- it's a collaboration with the Von Terra Corps, which is a label based in Bristol. Um, they contacted me the other day saying, hey, we want to release these T-shirts and have a kind of a fundraiser. I said, yeah, go for it. And so we've reshared the compilation. A lot of fantastic music on there. This project was particularly led by Oday Masri, who I spoke mm. in length about earlier on. I think it's also important to touch on him a little bit because um, that was a, a, a momentous loss to the Palestinian community and the music, the wider music community in general too. He passed away on the 30th of June, Allah Yirhamo. And um, I can't even begin to describe the way that he's contributed to Palestinian music and art and community and the way that he's brought it, artists from all around the world to understand and take on the Palestinian cause. Um, I think it's important for people to remember he was, he, he was living in Amman, so he was stuck in Amman. He couldn't return to Palestine. And this is another example that, of the brutality of the Israeli occupation. So you don't just have to be living in Palestine to be under occupation. Mm. Our existence is under occupation in general, wherever you are. So because of his Palestinian papers that don't count for anything, they're worth less than the paper that they're printed on, he was stuck in Amman. He couldn't work in Amman. He didn't have the right papers. He couldn't return to Palestine. So his basic human right of freedom of movement was restricted and undermined. So he Mm. couldn't even move. So imagine sitting in an apartment in our man, not being able to move, you can't work, you can't go anywhere, you can't travel and take these gigs that you're being offered all around the world, you can't make money, and you're organizing these events, exist festival all around the world, and they're taking place, and you're just sitting in your apartment while the festival is taking place in another continent, mm. and people are there playing, celebrating your festival, you know, in solidarity with the Palestinian cause, and you're sitting there in your bed all alone, you know, being the founder of this organization while this event is taking place, and you're stuck here. Like, do not forget that the the clause of occupation are deeper than the parameters of the Palestinian state, you know? We all carry the burden of the occupation on us because of Israel. So I think it's very important to highlight that despite him not being in Palestine in the end, he was still under occupation living outside of Palestine. Yeah, of course, and so do the, all the refugees that have no right to return to mm. their motherland. Um, let's start with the first song of the album. Uh, it's Nar al Ghira by Abu Lul, uh, the singer and the hall.
When I hear this music feel it, it's only me I feel it I'm focused when I'm breathing, what I'm fucking feeling I'm inverse like the ceiling, frozen like the speed I'm just in can't be sleeping, I'm hoping it's just me When I hear this music feel it, it's only you and me Time is my illusion, what I fucking feel I'm focused like a seafish, why you bugging me I'm just in can't be me, I can't fucking sleep I can't fucking sleep صلي فترة بس انتر فيه جيب الخضرة وعتم لي شو الارهاب اللي بتامن فيه خد الدوز وانت كش بيك يا وطن ما توترنيش القدم لافش ولا كيس فخدان دم غزة تصيح اذا عربي طب كيف تطبيح صلي فترة بكسر فيك اور على نقرة بكمل فيك صلي فترة مركز فيك يور خضر مش شايف كيف زي دنيا مربوط في الخيطان النص محتاج تمثيل حواليك كيف مطروح استيطان حواليك في نوع التفتيش
This is Sully Al Almod by Maltash from Resist to Exist compilation. And before that, we um, played uh, Extre- Extreme by Dakin. Uh, you can find this compilation on Bandcamp and you can also uh, purchase a, a t shirt with the artwork uh, from there. To go on Bandcamp, just type resist to exist, and it's on Avon Terra Corpse um, page. Um, yeah, what an amazing compilation, Nadim. Um, we'll be playing uh, songs from this one as well as another compilation by Exist Records called No Comply, a Gaza skateboard, a skate park fundraise compilation can you tell us about this one as well i would love to so this particular compilation we released it a couple of months ago we collaborated with a skate park in gaza and um it was uh, a very special compilation because it was the last project that i got to work on with oday um so essentially no comply as well it's a it's a skateboarding trick it's the name of a particular trick in skateboarding mm. so there's some obviously there's some references there association so no comply essentially is a gaza skate park fundraiser compilation uh, the compilation features a rare assemblage of dear friends of the label representing the arab orient and african region the compilation pays homage to skate gaza a skate park near the port of gaza city which since 2014 has cultivated the temporary passage of salvation for children escaping what is now commonly accepted as the world's largest open-air concentration camp. The skate park the skate park has been destroyed now, by the way. Wow. But 
uh, prior to it being destroyed, it had evolved into a beacon of hope and an indispensable entity that has empowered children with a sense of community, striving towards a collective sense of liberation and purpose. The, spa- the park essentially provides a momentary interlude in space and time away from an atmosphere habitually marked by severe dehumanization and premeditated infrastructural deterioration designed to both regress and ethnically cleanse the besieged inhabitants of Gaza. Um, the hip-hop, pan-African rap and industrial electronics inspired the comp- uh, compilation is available on CD. I think they're pretty much sold out now. We've mm-hmm. done a repress of the t-shirts, which I think... Uh, some of the coolest shirts I've seen. Yeah. They were designed by Laith, who is one of the co-directors of Drowned by Locals, mm. label based on our man. Um, and yeah, essentially, the compilation, we raised funds to redevelop the skate park, provide free skating lessons for the children there, have equipment sent there from our man. We also collaborated with Seven Hills, which is a skate park, uh, skate shop in Amman so this is just another example of how you know we release a compilation to support individuals and institutions in Gaza and then within a week that organization could be bombed or destroyed mm-hmm. you know there's orphanages in Gaza that we've worked with in the past donated money towards that have been bombed and destroyed like with there's a compilation actually it's called In the Presence of Absence that we're hopefully releasing in the next week or so on Al Gharib and that compilation has been one we've been working on for 24 months and the compilation's been ready for six months now and we've always just been waiting for the right time to release it and I remember there was one week we wanted to release it in Gaza, you know, it was carpet bombed so we said, you know, not, now's not the time to release this, let's wait. And then I was ready to release the compilation again in June and then Oday passed away and then I said, fuck, this is not the right time to release this. And then right before what happened two weeks ago, we were ready to release it and then this mm-hmm. happens again and I think what we can learn from this is that there's never a right time to release anything when it comes to Palestine because we've consistently been bombarded we've consistently been under occupation and subjected to genocide so that's just a little bit of some perspective here that you have to sometimes pick and choose when you want to bring something because there's such a congested sense of trauma taking place all the time mm-hmm. that there's never a right time and that should actually demonstrate how long we've been under occupation how long we've been suffering for that we have to really you know consider when we can release something because of the dehumanization that takes place concurrently this is the story i hear repeatedly from every palestinian artist or creative or anyone i i i talk to um uh, I was just talking to DJ Matab, who is a Palestinian DJ um, and has a show on Radio Al-Hara. And he was telling me that he, he, he was never born, he was never been, he never been to Palestine. And he always wanted to go and every time to, and he wanted to document a film about his father's land, which is in Jerusalem. And his father wanted to get it back, but it's impossible. He wanted to document that in a film. But up until today, he is not able to go because every time he decides to go, something happened. And yeah, I was uh, listening to an interview by um, with Muhammad Al-Kurd and Lex Friedman where Muhammad started writing poetry. Uh, he started as a poetry writer, but soon drifted away from it because as a Palestinian, he had um, he faces this um, constant dip- disruption he has no time to sit and 
you know think about his hobby or you know but yeah so it's it's a it's a continue yeah it's a similar story and uh, yeah mm. and in yeah. saying that i think also it's important for those who have been asking how can we support palestine obviously there's a number of ways but i think a good place to start would be reaching out to people in the palestinian community that you know or you might not know or people that you're already friends with and offer your solidarity offer your support mm, like check on them check yeah. on them you know obviously we're not doing well but um that's a good place to start with solidarity because mm. um people are losing family members in the dozens entire families are being wiped off the registrar um and right now uh the u.s announced no red lines so israel can essentially go and do whatever it wants so right now obviously there's no electricity there's no water by the way they turned the electricity off in the water off two weeks ago mm. so imagine the children in there now who haven't drunk water for two weeks had access to electricity for two weeks shower i want people to know that gaza reeks of dead bodies mm -hmm. dead bodies dead bodies and excrement people can't use the bathroom there's no water system there are dead bodies like look around these photos and videos that you're seeing how many people do you see holding guns mm. none all you see is rubble death destruction that's all these children know that's all these children see you know you look at world war Two and you see all these different cities that are that have been flattened by bombs, they were flattened once. Mm. Gaza has been flattened year after year after year after year. We die, we rebuild. We die, we rebuild. Um, so offer some Palestinians that you know some support. Reach out. They might not want any of your support, but it doesn't hurt to reach out. Um, but yeah, I just want to reinforce how right now with no internet, Israel targeting not just civilians and children, but journalists and their families. Right now, you can't see what's happening. But if you thought what was happening in the past two weeks is bad, it's worse right now. Mm. They are upscaling each night that passes or elapses, upscaling the dehumanization and the genocide. It gets worse and worse and worse. The bombardment, it's getting worse each day. The, the on-ground incursion has continued in the north tanks rolling in so just remember that it's not getting better it's getting worse so your resistance shouldn't be futile you shouldn't decide maybe this week i won't go to the protest we actually need you more than last week to come to the protest mm. and the next week and the following week because it's your government that's complicit here and not calling for a ceasefire or the access to humanitarian aid three trucks or so have gone in in the past few days it's like what's three trucks going to do for a population of two and a half million you know and so there's also a fly problem. Like, you know, when you're out and about camping here or going to Dorfs and you mm -hmm. take your Aragard with you or because there's a couple of mosquitoes. Imagine there being so many flies around because there's just so many dead bodies around, organs exposed, disintegrated bodies. You know, besides the limbs that you're seeing of children, you know, some of these bodies are actually completely disappearing. Like when a bomb lands, it's like, do you know when you burn, you know, a piece of paper and it just almost disintegrates into blackness into nothingness that's what's happening to palestinian babies they're disintegrating into nothingness you can't actually see them anymore yeah it's horrible um you wanted to read um a passage from uh, a paragraph from a book that yeah. is very important it's um for those who are interested in learning more about palestinian literature 
history. Mm. At our event the other day, we had a QR code up that had links to number of petitions that I urge a lot of people to sign. There's cultural artistic petitions. There's letters that you could send to Penny Wong, um, different members of parliament. I urge you to try and contact your members of parliament. They'll send you a response, an automated response saying that Israel has a right to defend themselves. Mm. Um, but I urge you to respond and keep going. It doesn't hurt. Some of these letters are already pre-written for you. You just need to sign, add your email there. Um, there's also a petition that I'm hoping that we can start working on soon, which is calling to expel um, members of the Israeli embassy here. Send them, send them home. Home, talking marks. <laughs> Get them out of here. What are they doing here? Like, mm. there are countries around the world, very few of them who are expelling, you know, yeah. individuals from these embassies. What's the difference here? You know, mm. so there's a number of ways that we can apply pressure, but an even more powerful form of pressure is education. And I think one of my favorite writers, literary icons, uh, Edward Said wrote a beautiful, he wrote many beautiful books, including Orientalism, but the one that I'm referring to today is After the Last Guy. It's a very beautiful book about Palis mm. the Palestinian case and Palestinian identity. And there's a photographer named Jean Moore who collaborated with Edward on this book, taking photos in Palestine and whatnot. So I'll read this page that I really, um, you know, feel like it's uh, important for people to hear, for those who obviously haven't read this. But... Um, so, where can I start? I'll start here. So, I feel that the West reproduced the way we experience ourselves, the way you sense that others look at you, the way in your solitude you feel the distance between where you are and where they are. The multifaceted vision is essential to any representation of us, stateless, dispossessed, decentered. We are frequently unable to either speak the truth of our experience or to make it heard. We do not usually control the images that represent us. We have been confined to spaces designed to reduce us or stunt us. And we have often been distorted by pressures and powers that have, a be have been too much for us. An additional problem is that our language, Arabic, is unfamiliar in the West and belongs to a tradition and civilization usually both misunderstood and maligned. Everything we write about ourselves, therefore, is an interpretive translation of our language, our experience, our sense of self, and others. But it is only through a recognition of these complexities that we can approach the elusive nature of identity, or integrate public and private realities, or apprehended the extraordinary variety of individuals and activities called Palestinian. Amazing. Um, yeah, I remember reading Orientalism, which is one of the most important books I've ever read. Um, it, I feel like it's it, it was part of us waking up to this um, fog of, you know, um, of bringing people of color down, of othering them. Mm. And yeah, it was such a crucial big in uh, crucial book in all of our conscious. So I highly recommend to to look up Edward Said and all the amazing um, books he's written, the interview he's had as well. Um, mm. Should we play a um, couple of tracks from No Comply? Yeah, we will. Uh, we yeah. will. I think yeah. there's there's some more that I want to talk about because yeah. I think people in their own time can have the opportunity to listen to these tracks. Sure. And I won't always be on a platform like this speaking. So since you brought up the concept of othering, I'd like to briefly discuss that. So 
essentially on a landscape scarred by past trauma, destroying the other's collective memory becomes a way of holding one's own. So destroying the collective memory of the Nakba, for example, is an essential aspect of the construction of Israel's national identity. Collective memory is situated at the divide between conscious and subliminal, between acknowledgement and denial, between history and psychology, and by depicting the forced exodus of 1948 as a war or conflict, Palestinian collective memory is not only challenged but denied, allowing the dehumanization of Palestinians to continue without consequences. In order to create a new collective identity, to idealize it, you have to separate yourself from the native people you have found, akin to many examples of colonial endeavors. Zionists from Europe needed to negate the other in order to make their own collective superior. It begins by not only redefining yourself against the societies which you have left, but the societies you have found. This involves invalidating anyone who may question this reinvention, which in the case of Israel includes ethnic cleansing and the genocide of the Palestinians. Ultimately, these tactics, rewriting history, fragmenting memory, demonizing the other, are weaponized in service of broader imperialist and colonial objectives. Mm. Yeah, it's like a layer upon a layer upon a layer mm. upon a layer of oppression, colonization of our minds, um, but also like physical uh, um, yeah, violence. And yeah, it's... it's it's um, unbearable to, to just, it's actually, you can't even imagine. Mm. Um, with, yeah. with No Comply, and we can jump onto those tracks now. Mm. Let's play the first two tracks on that record. Mm -hmm. um, we'll start off with Umkubu Bint Halal. Um, yeah. That track was made by her and Firas Shahadi. Uh, Shahadi. is that correct? Yeah. I can't seem to... I don't have my glasses on. <laughs> um, and the second track is by Big Merc featuring Abu Ais. Um, and Mukata should be next or track four. So since they're all Palestinian, I think it's appropriate that we played all three. So, And these are really special tracks on the compilation. Um, and yeah, there's something very unique about the Palestinian hip-hop trap scene. So those are two beautiful examples of them. Yeah, really... Um yeah, really excited to play them because these are amazing artists. Yeah, period. Huh. 
أبو العيه أبو العيه اسم الأرض فلسطين منزوع زي الورقة مقطوط زي الزهرة مفروض زي الزعتر مقطوش مش كامل مقطوش زي الولعة طربوش على الحالة مفروضة بطرنا ما كنتش حاسس نصوم من مرة مسكوب زي المرأة مقطوع على الحاجز مرفوض زي الفيزا منقوص كم ورقة منصوص من الله مبعوص من بارح أسبوعنا تمرمت مقصوص من نصه نفوت ونفرش معلوم ليش كاتب بنشوف نتخرف بقم الكاسر حرموم متضايق قوم وتدرع او تجشى او تدشى لو ده كنتو اخرتك تراجع شو صار بالفترة سواد عيوني من سواد المنظر بحط شاطرة ويريتني قدرة بنامس عن بكرة مش وقت تكاسر عندالنا اسرة فبطلت تكافح وسبت الضالب باختصار لو فهمت القالب انتصار حب لي حالك والنظام هيوعى كله بانتظام اشتقت لاصحاب والنظام وين يا خساره شو اللي صار وين اسراره بالهادي الاخر ضليتني واقف زي الحصان ضليت اتفرع زي احصان شيك تعبان ايش اللي صار ضل مستعجل الوقت مش سامح الوعد شوي فاكح زي الطابق مش عدم منجيبش كوال دوب ما مفكر طلعش عغيري وطلع عقيري بطمعش بشي بطمع بحالي يضلوا معي وانا في الليل وانا في نهار وانا بنهار وانا بنهار طلع عني طلع مين طلع عني علت لي قلبي وانا بطلعها برضاش تعيش وانت شالي مش ماخد حقك وانا ملين استيال اكتر من اللي طبعك فيه طبعا جيت بزنقس على العيلة طلع زريح وطبعا فيه عنا بس طلبك فيه انا لاني فكرت فيه ما فيه منيح إلنا أو جد خاص زي احتمى الله يخزيك فهمنا أبو العيس أربع حتيش منيح That was Mamzoor by 
Big Merck and Abu Lais. And before that, we played a song by Umkubu and Firas Shehade from No Comply uh, compilation on Exist Records. Um, Nadim, you had uh, you had a couple of things to say about those two tracks. Yeah, so to reiterate what was said earlier on, um, this music, our music, those two tracks you've just heard, were, were created by artists whose music was created under the world's most brutal military occupation or in the diaspora displaced because of it. So the tracks weren't made in the studio with all the artists together. So for example, mm. that big Merc track, he made the beat, sent it across the voice with the track beforehand. You know, Bint Halal made her raps, Firas made the beat, tried to put it together. We needed Modular Mind, Carl, to come in and mix and master. Mm. So Palestinians and others in the region, especially these Palestinian artists, don't have the freedom of movement. So we can't just go fly over there and jump in the studio with this person and make the track. It's like our freedom of movement is undermined. So even making music is difficult for us. Mm. Having to send something across there and get it back and then the process, the creative process is disrupted because of the occupation that we're under, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so it's important for people to understand the context behind the way that this music was crafted, the way that this art was created. Not simple, privileged Melbourne. Hey, you want to jump in the studio with me? Yada, yada. No, it's like, hey, like I'm working on a beat. I'm going to send it across to you because I can't even see you. And then, okay, it's a bit difficult. It's hard to connect. It's hard for the flow to take place here. We need someone else to help mix and master and put it together. So the the daily life of Palestinian artists living under occupation, whether you're in Palestine or, you know, in the diaspora, every process is difficult. You know, your freedom of movement, your ability to create, it's all under occupation. Mm. So that's also something to take into account when you're listening to our music that it wasn't a simple process to put together. Not only was it made under occupation, and this is us a manifestation of our suffering and our survival, but also the ways in which we've been able to come together and put this together is a little bit unconventional because of our inability uh, to move around and to visit each other and to travel because of the occupation. Yeah, occupation in all sorts of ways. Um, yeah, shout out to Carl who was with us on Salam as well. Uh, we have um, uh, Carl started Modular Mind, which is an amazing label, and you should check it out because there's like a dictionary of amazing experimental artists on there. Um, if you like experimental music, um, and Abu Lais also, we had a show with Abu Lais a long time ago, which was a lot of fun. I love his style of rapping. Um, it's very unique, really, really unique, as well as Umkubu. Um, I always love listening to those two. Um, yeah, Nadim, what should we do next? Um, yeah, big shout out to Carl from Modular Mind. Probably yeah. one of my, if not my favorite, label from the region. Very hardworking, talented artist, producer, musician should really check out his label he also co-directs exist festival um masters all the work for Al-Gharib and m- many other prominent labels the school in amsterdam mm. you know very renowned club he was the sound guy for 10 years now he's working in beirut so shout out to him um maybe we can chuck on mukata's track yep. and then uh, maybe i can send you 
Carl's new track that's coming out on our compilation Amazing. in the presence of absence. Okay, let's do this.
This was uh, Fagnan by Yao Bobby and Simon Grab on No Comply um, compilation. Uh, before that, we played Mukata. The song is called Irbak. Um, hi, Nadim. Hello. Um, did you want to talk about Mukata a little bit? I can talk yeah. about Mukata briefly. So, yeah. Mukata is a friend of mine, he's uh, from Palestine. Um, 
he's he's locally known as the godfather of <laughs> underground hip-hop but he hates that title yeah and i understand <laughs> and he's a very he's a man of great humility um He's, he's also very experimental. He and is, and he's and not an extroverted character. He's very respectful. Yeah. I have a lot of love for him. And he's, in my opinion, one of my, if not my favorite producer at the moment, especially from Palestine. He's a former member of the acclaimed collective Ramallah, Ramallah Underground with Asifa, mm. Stormtrap, Aboud. Um, and he, uh, he has an interesting brand of experimental hip-hop based on sampling and looping the sounds of Palestine and the city. He's been heralded for influencing a new generation of Palestinian musicians. So mm. um, he's an excellent artist for those who don't know him. I recommend checking out. And next year, hopefully, I'm going to bring Exist Festival to Melbourne. So he'll definitely be one of the artists that we bring down. That's exciting. Yeah. Um, but now, since we've talked about advocacy and you know, uh, pressure on politics domestically, uh, I think it's important that we also talk about the media coverage and holding media institutions accountable for what they're portraying when it comes to what's taking place in Palestine and Gaza. Mm. So um, sending letters to the ABC, you know, um, you know, coming out and saying that we see what's being presented on TV, we see the language being used and no, we don't accept this narrative because mm. that's not the case of what's taking place. People need to, in this, as I said before, the war of words, the war of narratives, the type of violence that it can incite is unprecedented so we have to really be careful with the language that we use it's a form of decolonization as well you know and so with regards to for example oh today you know some updates on the palestine israel conflict it's like well one it's not a conflict mm. you know the words that we use are like spells that we cast on ourselves and the environment around us you know and so it's very important that we are diligent with the words that we use so for example conflict that's an extremely inaccurate way to describe what's taking place here. You've got a native inhabitants that was dispossessed in 1948 and the remaining inhabitants have been subjected to apartheid and genocide since. So the situation in Gaza, you've got a nuclear power mm. that engages in billions of dollars of trade with a number of international in entities around the world and they are pouring chemical we weapons, white phosphorus, on a tiny strip of land, 50% of the inhabitants being children. Mm. So this is not a conflict. The word conflict kind of creates a paradigm of uh, symmetry, some sort of symmetrical nature between two entities that have uh, a dispute and they're fighting it out. Well, that's not the case because what you have here is you have disproportionate uses of violence. You have asymmetrical warfare here nuclear powerhouse coming up against a, uh, you know, a, a, a strip of land where 50% of the inhabitants are children. You know what I mean? People also talk about Hamas being democratically elected in the past. It's 50% of the, the population are children. So 50% of the population can't even vote. Mm -hmm. So this is another example of how we cannot be painting people with the same brush. So using language is very important. That's why we need to call it out for what it is, apartheid, genocide, massacres not conflict you know mm. it's not a simple disagreement here taking place like there is a genocide taking place and we need to call it out and the media likes to use certain terms and we then regurgitate those terms and the problem is that these terms are countering the required dialogue 
to end the occupation. We are slowing down the process by using the language that they want us to use. As Audrey Lord said, you cannot dismantle the master's house with the master's tools. Yeah. It's it's a hard one though. Like uh, I I really love that saying. Um but yeah, a lot of people don't know how to do that without using the master's tool. Mm. Um you know, like and and it's, happen it's happening with our um society of marginalized people you cannot be marginalized and liars with um you know like for example a white only institute or and then uh forget about the others like um you cannot associate yourself with a festival that um uh yeah that supports like that supports pink washing or like liars with really bad um, institutes uh, that are Zionist, and then just because they hi highlight your marginalized community and not the others. So I, I can see that happening a lot in Melbourne. Um, it's an interesting topic, but maybe for another day. Mm. <laughs> yeah. There is a great sense of polarization taking place here, and this happens yeah. when a great awakening takes place. This happens, you know when there's a shift in the dynamic, in the narrative, the way that people think. And as I said before, we are actually fighting the same forces of oppression. We can't mm. forget that. Okay, so when they say that, you know, if one of us isn't free, all of us aren't free, it's actually true. Yeah. What's stopping it from happening to you? You know, and I think that associating yourself with people with good politics is important because what we're about to witness here and we're witnessing as we speak is a serious polarization in the music and arts community and it's necessary because if you want to go and play at a festival or work with a promoter and you don't really know what their politics is a simple example is if they're a zionist then there is a structural complicity that such institutions manifest in the material and symbolic reproduction of the israeli state these institutions are tied up structurally in prolonging the injustice of the Palestinian people and no concessions can be made with these institutions. You have been able now to identify the misalignment in principles and ethics and any association with these institutions makes you complicit. People need to take a stance, okay? Mm -hmm. There's people getting wiped off the map, their entire families. It doesn't matter if you drop one gig or you decide, hey, I'm not going to do this or I'm going to step down. It's time to apply pressure. As I said, we still have you know children dying in incarceration here you know what i mean mm -hmm. low life expectancy nothing being done because of the infrastructural failings mm -hmm. that exist intentionally to regress minority groups you know and people of color mm -hmm. so what we need to do is we need to actually stand up right now because there is no other time to stand up what world do you want to live in what world do you want your children to live in yeah. like now if there if there was a time in the past where you've sat on the sidelines and said you know what i'm sitting out here now is the time because you cannot detach the forces of oppression that yourself and minority groups face and the complicity of the institutions involved in this. Let what is happening to the Palestinian people serve as a reminder to the occupation that we've all been living under. Yeah, I mean, you gotta, you got to realize that if you're marginalized and you're playing at a festival that contradicts the values of people who are minorities, um, those, this festival or this organization is only using you to pretend that they are, you know, they are good or they are inclusive. inclusive. Yeah. We represent people from all backgrounds, all ethnicities, all sexuality. Look at us. Yeah. But behind the scenes, 
you're a Zionist institution. Yeah. We're bragging about stories, you know, of our time in the IDF or, you know, we're going to Israel and throwing events and throwing parties. Like you think that the cash flow coming from these events isn't going back into the Israeli economy? Mm. Like they will never have your back as well. No. You will You were expendable. Yeah. You're expendable. They don't give a crap about you. Yeah. They're just using you for your culture. They're exploiting you for their own interest and you know, generating revenue and then done. They've forgotten about you. And and their goal is to separate us, is to divide us, is to create those, you know, those battles, but not battles, whatever, like those conflicts between us. Division, yeah, division, exactly. Division between us. So I've been trying to express that, like, like we're not free. Like if Palestine is not free, we're not all free is something that really resonated with me. And I've been trying to express that in different way, but like the mm. way you explained it right now is like so, yeah, like so accurate. So you could yeah. you could lose your job here, yeah, if you said, for example, free Palestine, or people are trying to undermine what it means. Or if you're saying from the river to the sea, you're calling for a war. If you're saying free Palestine, what you mean is that you want to exterminate the Jews from that land. Where it's like, no, 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 don't hang your associations and your own trauma and mm. project on our cause here because a free Palestine actually means a Palestine for the Jews because mm. prior to 1948, Jews were living happily with Muslims and Christians in that land. Yeah. So it does not mean clearing the land of those Jews. Mm. Don't project your, you know, genocidal, it's you know, views on our cause here. It's also pre-1940, a little bit, uh, it's important to say that it's pre-Zionism because the Zionists in Palestine and around the Arab world have tried in multiple ways to divide those people mm. and to cause Absolutely. issues between them. So you need to know the whole history mm. of Zionism. So you don't, you can't just go, ah, 10 years ago, there was a, you know, a, a Jewish killed in Palestine, Pal an Arab killed in Palestine. You need to know what caused that. Mm. Um, because before, before that, Jews did live with uh, Muslim uh, and Christians in Palestine Correct. and around the Arab world. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot to say about this, but I'm not the expert mm. in this, so I'm not going to... It's important to know that yeah. Christian Zionism outdates Jewish Zionism. Mm -hmm. so because Zionism started, first started as a secular movement, then the Christians forced it to be in... in well, I don't know if they forced it, but they suggested Palestine... Yeah. as a place for religious re reasons. I mean, yeah, I, yeah. I, look, well, in, in the late 18th century, around eight, in the, the late 1890s, for example, Theodor Herzl, who's regarded as the godfather of Zionism, wrote a book called The Jewish State, The Jewish Pamphlet, where he talked about trying to secure sovereign borders, a Jewish state for the Jewish people. And so there's a chapter even in that book that says Argentina or Palestine. You know, there was even talks to have a Jewish state here in North Australia. So there have been options that, you know, Zionists have been seeking for the Jewish people, the, the solution to the Jewish question that's been asked for a very long time. So Palestine just happens to be a place where the Jews have a significant spiritual and cultural connection to. Mm -hmm. And I will quote Theodore Herzl when he says, I need to, you know, I need to galvanize a dream that will drag the Jews from the darkest of ghettos to come and fight back to live mm, in the historic exactly. Palestine. Yeah. So, and then from that book being cre created till the Jewish National Fund being developed all the way until all the intricacies of, you know, the British parliament and government and Zionists within those institutions who worked very hard to sign things like the Belfort Agreement or the Skies Pico Agreement, mm. which are all, you know, 
agreements or declarations that were written well before World War II. So mm-hmm. there was a plan to actually bring the Jews to that land well before the Holocaust. Yeah, yeah, and, and the there was mass migration as well prior to 1948 of Jews coming. Yeah, without know? without the consultation with the indigenous people, and there were lands stolen, and there were um, the British were arming the Zionists mm. in Palestine to have more force and to like mm. break the neck of the indigenous people. So all this violence was not created out of nothing or because Palestinians were inherently violent, because that's totally incorrect, and mm-hmm. you cannot say that on any population. Um, you need to understand the history before talking about it. Yeah. Um, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's important. And I mean, yeah. like, also, we don't, it's not necessarily a time to get into this right now, but, you mm. know, um, the reasons why this idea of finding a Jewish state for the Jewish people is because Jews have been persecuted for a very long time yeah. living in exile. Yeah. So there needed to be a solution to this problem of discrimination, anti Semitism. You know, but the the solution isn't to take a people to a land where a people already exist and to expel these people. Mm. Also, Palestinians were opening their arms to Jews who were coming to Palestine, Mm. seeking salvation after Mm. World War Two. So, but then when it started to become violent, when they were they were under British occupation mandate, um, yeah, things. Started to be different, to look different for the pa- Palestinian. The mm. true agenda of Zionism started to be clear. Yeah. yeah, and I mean it was clear from the beginning. So yeah. even in Theodore Herzl's book, talking about the Jewish state, like it is, you know, not even the, the things that he would say about the native inhabitants. They were planning to rid the native inhabitants a long time ago. Mm. They were even talking in inside of these texts that talk about, you know getting rid of the native inhabitants. Obviously, the surrounding countries are not going to be happy with us, but maybe we can offer them some sort of financial incentive that if they do ally with us over time, mm-hmm. it'll be beneficial for them. And you can see this in the case of normalizing relations with a number of other countries in the region. But if you look at these texts, if you listen to the words spoken by these influential British Zionists at the time, there was never an intention to cater for the native population. For example, Balfour, who signed the agreement that was written you know Mm. um by at the time it was essentially a letter that was written by uh sir rothschild and it was signed by arthur balfour and he also stated at the time that he does not propose to even go through any form of consulting the wishes of the present inhabitants of the country zionism be it right or wrong good or bad is rooted in age-old traditions in present needs in future hopes of far profounder importance than the desires of 700,000 Arabs who now inhabit that ancient land. Mm. So this is another important aspect to discuss, and I know we're running out of time here, but we've seen so many situations, countless situations where there's been warfare taking place and ceasefires have been called for within a day or two, and they've been granted Mm. with humanitarian aid. But those are white bodies, yeah? Yeah. When it comes to people of color, black people, fuck a ceasefire, people don't care. And that's a sad reality of the truth. Mm. That white blood is worth something more than darker yeah. blood. Yeah. And so the fact that it's been over two weeks now and a ceasefire hasn't been called when you have one of the most advanced militaries destroying a region mm. with over 50% children using chemical weapons. And Australia, a place that calls itself a democracy, doesn't want to call for a ceasefire, humanitarian aid. People need to wake up here. People mm. need to demand the Australian government called for a ceasefire. Mm. So... 
Next Sunday, the following Sunday, we need you around. We need you shouting because our voices aren't being heard. And bring your friends as well. We need your support here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, before we run out of time, I just want to like um, read. Uh, uh, so I, I announced that there's going to be uh, film documentaries being shown at Black Sparks, Sparks Gallery. I just want to give a bit more info on that. So this is uh, Sophia Sabar is or has organized it. And for the next three Thursday from 6 p.m., uh, they're hosting film nights about Palestine and the history of the occupation. The first of three film nights will be on Balfour Day, the 2nd of November. An international Palestinian film organization based in Ramallah and Lebanon are supporting film nights around the world on this day. Our event will be at uh, Black Spark Cultural Center, Thornbury. And this week, uh, they will have Elsa Rose from Coloring the Conversation, Marjiki from a uh, uni lecturer on Palestine, uh, and Sophia Sabah, who is a Palestinian-Australian um, who will be speaking, and she's organizing this event. Uh, there will be a Q&A a box for people to ask questions, which we will answer, they will answer at the end of the film. There will also be food and T-shirts for sale to raise money for Gaza, for when aid is allowed in. And raising money isn't the aim here, though. The aim is to raise awareness so the Australians can have confidence pressuring our government not to support the Upper Side occupation and genocide. When I was speaking to Sophia, she made the point of inviting people who are not very informed of this, um, yeah, this genocide. Um, so yeah, make sure to bring someone who wants to learn more and yeah, share around. Um, so we still have five minutes. Um, we can end it here or if you, like to say anything uh nadim please go ahead yeah uh just a couple of things first to reiterate yeah, yeah to echo the demands of palestinians um before you work with anyone before you want to engage in some sort of collaborative work or you know if and also in terms of what we we want you to demand from our government it's simple it's demand an immediate ceasefire demand immediate access to gaza for humanitarian aid demand an investigation into Israel's attacks and war crimes on Palestinians in Gaza. This is collective punishment. This is genocide. Demand an end to Israel's illegal occupation and apartheid regime. Those are four essential elements when it comes to your resistance, your advocacy, the political pressure, and also the, the politics that you need people to know before you engage in working with them. Okay, there's a divide right now, there's polarization taking place, and these are essential things. And to be honest, honestly, these four things that I discussed, if the people that you want to work with are not in, in agreement with any of those things, trust me, I'm doing you a favor. These are people that you don't want to work with. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Nadim, for being on the show. Um, it was uh, really great to hear you and learn from you. Um, and to showcase uh, uh, the work of Palestinian artists whom you've had on your label. Um, yeah, and for our listeners, you can listen to this show again. We'll be uploading the link as soon as we can. It, it should be available tonight. Um, we'll share the link and it will be on our link tree if you follow Salam Radio Show. Salam is spelled S-A-L-A-A-M. 
Um, and yeah, please follow Al Gharib, Exist to Resist, buy those compilation, and yeah, be active and um, yeah, help us stop this genocide. Um, yeah, thanks, Nadim. Thank you for having me. Kafirs are Palestinian scarves, and they're a symbol of support for justice for the Palestinian people. Buying one will support the last remaining factory in Hebron that makes kafirs, and all proceeds from the sales support projects in Palestine, especially Gaza, as well as local solidarity organizations. From the traditional black and white kafir to an array of modern designs, explore the range and order online, or drop by 3CR during business hours. Wear your support for the rights of Palestinians. Go to kafias.org.au. That's K-U-F-I-Y-A-S.org.au. A 3CR supporter.